We'll turn to our reading for this evening, which is found uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll be reading from verses, uh, the focus will be for verses 3 to 11, but we'll be reading from verse 1 to 11. So 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, and we'll start at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in uh, Achaia. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those uh, who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or, if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation and our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings so also you will partake of the consolation for we do not want you to be ignorant brethren of our trouble which came to us in asia that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life yes we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. And we trust that God would bless the public reading of his word. So, uh, when I was preparing this uh, sermon uh, to preach to you this evening, um, it really was a, a, a good sermon that Billy preached on to us uh, in his series on the fruit of the Spirit on patience. And this is where uh, this uh, sermon stemmed from. So I'd like to thank Pastor Billy for that sermon and I'm sure you'd uh, join me in uh, uh, encouraging him on what a lovely uh, series that has been so far, what an encouragement and challenge it has been. Uh, to us as a church. Um, so, focusing on the spirit of patience, I just want to recap a few of the points that Billy had brought to us. Um, as I believe that this uh, sermon that I'm preaching to, to you tonight on the God of all comfort uh, in our sufferings and trials uh, will follow on uh, quite nicely from what Billy uh, had brought to us. Uh, he taught us how our patience is developed, and we read in James uh, chapter 1. In verses 2 and 3, that my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. You know, these trials for the believer should not be treated as enemies, but as friends. And that trials are inevitable for the believer, and they come completely out of the blue. But patience is developed in these trials, and that we must count it all joy. We should face these trials with joy, uh, knowing that the Spirit is working 
in our lives to produce and develop this uh, fruit of patience. And uh, in reading uh, the foreword to to Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Piper wrote a foreword uh, reflecting on and highlighting some key verses uh, that reflect on the sufferings that John Bunyan uh, went through. And these are some of the verses that, uh, that he mentioned. Acts chapter 14, 22. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. John 16, 33. It's from Christ. In the world, you will have tribulation. Matthew 10, verse 16 from the Lord again. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And again from Christ in John fifteen twenty, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And from Peter in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, that we should not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. We should not face these trials and be surprised by them that we are facing them for we've been told before that we will face them and that by facing them uh, the Holy Spirit will develop patience uh, in our lives. From Paul in Romans 8 verse 23 we who have the first fruits of the Spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting eagerly for our adoptions as sons the redemption of the body talking about when we uh, reach glory. And then in Habakkuk uh, chapter 3 and verses 6, we're going to read uh, from uh, the verses before. uh, So Habakkuk chapter 3. One second, I'm just finding it. Habakkuk chapter 3. Verse 17 to 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labour of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. No matter what trial or suffering we go through, we must continue to joy in the Lord, rejoice uh, in him. Looking forward to that day where we will be with him in glory, where there will be no more trial, no more uh, suffering. It glorifies God when we maintain our stability and even our joy, having lost everything uh, but God. But as we come to this uh, passage uh, this evening in 2 Corinthians, we look at verse uh, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. First we come to this Father of mercies. Mercy, to define it in a way, is when God doesn't give us what we deserve. Grace being when God gives us the things we don't deserve. Mercy, when God doesn't give us what we deserve. You know, we deserve death and eternal damnation. We deserve not to be in the presence of God. For the sin that plagues in our hearts. 
from the days of Adam and Eve. Now, we don't deserve to live in this beautiful creation that God has given to us here on this earth, but he gives it to us anyway. It shows the Father of mercies. In Psalm 119, verse 64, it says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. And we sing in the hymn, Don't we great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Isn't God so merciful to us? The Father of mercies. And this Father of mercies, in his mercy, sent his Son, an atonement for our sins that we might inherit the gift of salvation. Well, how do we gain this salvation? Well, Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raising from the dead, you will be saved. And God is merciful to us in this, that we can uh, reflect the words that the tax collector says in the parable uh, he speaks of, the Pharisee and the tax collector, those seven words that lead to salvation Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I wonder if you've prayed to God for your salvation tonight. I wonder if you have ever prayed words similar to those. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Recognising how merciful God God is and has been to his people. And how merciful he can be to you in the forgiveness of your sins. If you believe in Christ as saviour. And in this we are... Uh, delivered from the death that we deserve uh, in his mercy. And we're welcomed into communion with Christ our Saviour. And we see this relationship that starts, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's this relationship between Christ and his Father, and it's an eternal one. There's no beginning and no end. It's not corrupted even on the cross. It's a relationship that is timeless. And John records for us in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 18, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. We've just been reminded in our hymn, haven't we? Immortal honours rest on Jesus' head in verse 3. My every need he richly will supply, nor will his mercy ever let me die. In him there dwells a treasure all divine, and matchless grace has made that treasure mine. Now another hymn as well. You know, we're debtors to mercy alone, aren't we? And we sing in that hymn, a debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing. Nor fear with thy righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The terrors of law and of God with me can have nothing to do. My Saviour's obedience and blood hide all my transgressions from view. I wonder if you can truly sing those words in those two verses. That his mercy will never let you die. That you come with no fear with his righteousness on. That the terrors of law and of God can have nothing to do with you. Because your Saviour's obedience and blood Hide all your transgressions from view. I wonder if you recognise this Father of mercies who has sent his Son to die for you on the cross for your sins. Not only do we see the Father of mercies in verse 3, we also see the God of all comfort. 
And we'll expand that in just a minute. But the God of all comfort, this comfort that the world cannot give us in our suffering and in our trials. If we were to define suffering, if you were to look it up, it would tell you it's the state of undergoing distress or hardship. Then we have many instances of trial and suffering in life, don't we? There's unemployment, there's various illnesses, loss of a loved one, singleness, temptations, including that of the flesh, and just dealing with life's circumstances. There may be many that I haven't mentioned there, but there are just some examples of trials and sufferings that we can face. There are many, many more that we face. But how does the world say that we should act in our times of trial and suffering? How should we respond as Christians to this also? Who does the world say that we should turn to? Well, if you were to look up how to deal with your suffering, most of the points would lead to bringing you to yourself. And that you are the answer to all of your problems. You know, be the best version of yourself. You know, if you're feeling like you're suffering or you're not um, not doing so well, you know, just be the better version of yourself. Create this better version of yourself. You know, what does this include? Just more worldly desires? Does this mean more money? More popularity? More confidence? And this best version of yourself just points us to ourselves. You know, you be you. Love to love yourself and accept yourself unconditionally. You know, you be you. You know, as a Christian, is someone saying to you, be you, a saved sinner? Would you want to be you? I know I certainly wouldn't. You know, we're all wretched sinners. I don't want to be me. You know, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't want to be me. I don't want to have this sinful uh, nature in my heart. You know, learn to love and accept yourself unconditionally. Nowhere in the Bible does it say to love yourself. It says to love God and to love others. That's what John brought to us uh, this morning. You know, and look within yourself. You know, find yourself within yourself. You know, that's completely contradictory to what we read in Psalm uh, uh, 139. In the last couple of verses there, it says, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We ask God to search our hearts. We ask God to test us and know all our thoughts. It is him who knows all. He knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And it's him who we turn to uh, for our comfort. We cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot be our own comfort. You know, these self-gratifying statements will only lead us down a darker path. Because we'll end up at a dead end where we find we can't help ourselves by ourselves. We need God's help. God is our comfort. You know, this focus on self and me and I, you know, it isn't how we should be as Christians. It's not about us. It's all about God. 
and all that we do should be for his glory, not our self-gratification, not popularity, not money, not any of these worldly things, not any of these worldly benefits that we see. We should turn to God who is our comfort. You know, we see the God of all comfort. This word all emphasises the abundance of the supply. You know, the comfort that Paul got from God was not only to comfort him in his tribulation, but so that he could comfort and encourage others also. Now we have to remember that this uh, letter is written to a church and not to an individual. So therefore we should read it as a church. And we do well to learn from this as a church uh, as the Corinthians who pray would. We must comfort those who are suffering in the church with the comfort that God has given to us. And it's not just about comforting our favourites in the church. We shouldn't have that, really. But all of those that we meet with. We should be comforting each other in our sufferings, not just comforting those that we like. For all members of one body, of one mind in Christ, we should all want to comfort each other. You know, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. You know, John brought this to us this morning, that we should show love for one another, that we ought to show love to one another. And we should want to, we should have a heart of love for God's people, a genuine heart of love for God's people. You know, being one mind in Christ shouldn't keep anyone at arm's length. Shouldn't just keep someone else to one side and we should really be comforting each other uh, in our sufferings. We all are going through a trial or a suffering. I wonder if you uh, haven't spoken to someone for a while in the church and there is someone that you could really be helping, someone you could really be praying for uh, at this time, someone uh, who you could show the comfort to uh, that God has given uh, to you. As a fellowship, we should be supporting one another. I wonder if we are people that others can talk to about such things. I wonder how approachable we actually are uh, to people coming to us about such things. Now, I just want to mention what Roger put in the notice sheet uh, last week. I wonder if you've read that as well. Quite challenging words that were said. Where he says, think, for instance, about church gossip. That's not very comforting, is it? Someone you would never confide in because you know it would go further in an afternoon phone call. Maybe think of those that you can confide in. We should all be able to confide in one another. As one mind in Christ, we should comfort one another. And we should be able to give others reassurance that uh, they uh, can see that comfort in us, that they can come to us uh, for that comfort. And we can show comfort through our prayers. It shows it's a genuine concern uh, to us before God about a particular individual. And I know that, um, I can say this for a fact, I'm sure you'd agree, that we feel comforted also when we know that others are praying for us. 
whatever the circumstance, whatever the trial, whatever the suffering, we know that we are comforted when others pray for us. So why don't we pray uh, for other people and show that comfort that God has shown to us? And it's about giving comfort to those who are suffering with the same comfort God has given to us. We mustn't forsake those who are suffering either in the church. Since God doesn't forsake us, we mustn't forsake each other in times of suffering. And we should show unconditional love to the saints too. We should be showing love to one another. This love that God has shown to us as he is love. And through every trial and suffering that Paul went through, there was never a time that he was forsaken by God. God proved his power and his pity, not just occasionally, but in every tribulation that Paul went through. And God never forsakes us in any tribulation or suffering that we go through either. We know that we can come to him, the God of all comfort, and that he will prove his power and pity, not in the odd tribulation, but in every tribulation. Now I wonder if you are in awe of God and you fear the Lord. I wonder if you know of his character and you spurred on to live in a way that is pleasing to him, living more close to his character. So then this morning, a God of love. I wonder if you learn from this characteristic of God to love one another. Or hear the God of comfort, the God who comforts us. I wonder if we are spurred on to comfort others as well. If we are in awe of God, we strive to want to be more like him in his character. Someone has said that awe is an invitation to imitate. So surely if we are in awe of God, we should want to be more like him, more like his character. And in him, we see the character that we are not particularly in the character of Christ while he was on this earth, the Son. In him, we see this character that we are not, but the character who we could be more like. You know, who we are is not sufficient to redeem us. It's not about us, about seeking comfort in ourselves. In ourselves, there's no redeeming quality. It's not about us or who we are, but it's about God, the God of comfort, who he is, what he has done for us through Christ. God's grace through Christ, that is sufficient. It is God and his grace who gives us the strength in our weakness. We should have joy in our trials and suffering, knowing that we are facing these tribulations for Christ's sake. And later on in Second uh, Corinthians, in chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my affirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is God's grace that is sufficient for us. It is strength that makes us perfect in weakness. When we feel weakest in our trials and our sufferings, God is our comfort. God is our strength uh, that we need in those times. And as we turn to uh, verses 5 and 6 of the passage, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or comfort also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Now, we've looked at uh, who we can turn to uh, when we face trials and sufferings. But who are we facing these tribulations for? You know, we don't suffer for ourselves and we don't suffer for the world either. But we suffer for Christ's sake. We see many instances of trial and suffering in the Bible. Namely Job and Paul. But none can compare to the sufferings of Christ on the cross. And our brother David brought this to us two years ago. um, In Isaiah 53 titled the chapter of the cross. In where he said that Christ was a man of sorrows, but a man of deep gladness. He was a man of sorrows, but a man of deep gladness. And he didn't suffer on the cross through groaning or complaining, even until he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And that we often groan and complain in our sufferings too. But think of how much anguish Christ went through and still he gave glory to God through his sacrifice on the cross. A man of deep gladness. And I just want to read uh, a section. This is one of a couple of books I'm going to recommend to you. The Sufferings of Christ by John Nelson Darby. Now I know some would have their thoughts on John Nelson Darby but... Um, He writes some good words uh, in this book, which I'm going to read uh, to you. And he says, There is a double character of suffering besides atoning work which Christ has entered into and which others can feel. The sufferings arise from active love in the world and the sorrow arising from the sense of chastenings in respect of sin. And these mixed with the pressure of Satan's power on the soul and the terror of foreseen wrath against sin. In the former, we suffer with Christ as privilege. In the latter, we suffer for our folly and under God's hand, but Christ has entered into it. But all this is distinct from suffering instead of us, so as to save us from the suffering, undergoing the chastisement of our peace, that we might not remain under God's wrath. In atonement, he suffers for us. In service, we suffer with him. In our distress, about sin and agony of mind he felt with us. 
you know, all the sufferings that Paul endured were due to his association with Christ. And in Philippians 1.21 we see that he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there's an old hymn that uh, uses those words. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To hold his hand and walk his narrow way. There is no peace, no joy, no thrill like walking in his will. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And as much as these sufferings for Christ abounded, his comfort was also abundantly given to him by Christ. And we must also enjoy Christ's comfort when we face trials. Others may be able to show compassion to us in our times of trial, but may not be able to relieve or encourage us. And he can be trusted not to fail in these favours, even though we are unworthy to receive them. Now, not all suffering is because of our walk with Christ, but we know that God will not forsake us when we endure such tribulations. And he cannot condone our wrongdoings, yet when we have done wrong and repent and confess like the Corinthians did, he will show mercy to us. A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Crucified Life, how to live out a deeper Christian experience. When we allow God to be exalted in our difficulties, we are in the perfect place to smell the fragrance of his presence. When we allow God to be exalted in our difficulties, we are in the perfect place to smell the fragrance of his presence. And society would point us to all other things that can be our comfort apart from God, apart from Christ, including being our own comfort. And they would would encourage us to read self-help books also. You know, the, the only book we should be reading really in our times of trouble is this book right here in front of you. This is the book where God will show us his comfort, his love, his grace and his mercy to us. And here's a book I wouldn't recommend, found on the bookstore shelf. It's called Good Vibes, Good Life How Self Love is the Key to Unlocking Your Greatness. You know, that, that title alone should surely make you flee from it. But here's a book I would recommend a book I've found has been a great comfort recently Illustrations and Meditations. Or Flowers from a Puritan's Garden by Spurgeon. And I'd just like to read uh, one of his meditations in here, titled One Rainy Day. In it he says, All the tediousness of the present life is but like one rainy day to an everlasting sunshine. How readily then should we bear these short-lived troubles? They are but for a moment, just a passing shower, and then the sun will shine out forever. Time is nothing when compared with eternity. To a believer, this sorrowful life is like one drop of grief lost in a sea of glory, one speck of rain in the year of fair weather. These light and momentary afflictions are not worthy to be compared with the eternal bliss which awaits us. I hope you can join me in encouraging that uh, 
that meditation is. I wonder which one you'd rather read as a believer. This book on self-love and how self-love's the key to unlocking your greatness. Or a book like that that really encourages you uh, in times of trial. Knowing that our sufferings are but a speck in comparison to uh, the, the span of glory and of eternity. Of course, I'd also, I'd of course, as a priority, recommend the Bible that we can turn to in our time of comfort and trouble. But those meditations are also encouraging uh, to look at. So now we turn uh, to verses 8 to 11, where we see God's deliverance from suffering. Verse 8, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Verse 8 implies that Paul has gone through something quite severe. This is quite a severe trial or suffering. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant. Brethren, suggests that Paul doesn't want to go into detail of this trouble that occurred in Asia Minor. But there's still something that can be learned from this trouble. In the form of God's deliverance. Now some speculate that this trouble was trouble he faced in Acts in Acts chapter 19 with the riots in Ephesus. And others would uh, suggest that it was a deadly sickness that Paul went through. Um, But the value and enjoyment of such a passage doesn't depend on knowing the exact details um, of this trial. More so um, how God has delivered Paul from whatever trial or suffering uh, he was going through. Here we go uh, at the end of verse uh, 8 into verse 9, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sense of death in ourselves, that sh- we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, the trouble was so serious that Paul feared death itself. You know, if someone was to ask him, is it life or is it death? He'd immediately say death. You know, to Paul, it looked like there was no way out. All confidence in self was depleted and only divine intervention could prevent such a disaster. Here again, we, we don't seek comfort from ourselves but from the God of all comfort. And the God who, uh, as it says here, and the God who raises uh, from the dead. And in verse 11, we see the Corinthians were aware of his trouble, for they joined Paul in supplications. They weren't ignorant of this trouble. They were praying uh, for his troubles. We know that even in our deepest despair, even our deepest trial and suffering, we know that God will deliver us. We know that he will. And we'll read a little bit more about that as we go through the passage. Um, verse 11, the Corinthians were aware uh, of his trouble. And so they prayed for him. And praying for his uh, deliverance. 
And Paul speaks of deliverance. We'll go back to verse 10, sorry. Paul speaks of deliverance in three uh, tenses here. Delivered. He says, uh, delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Three tenses there. Some speculate past, present and future. Some uh, speculate it to be both uh, does deliver and will deliver to be future while the first delivered is past. But we know that whether in the near or more distant future, the one on whom we have set our hope on will deliver. And if we're looking at Acts 19 and that's in view, Paul could well have reflected on troubles he faced with the riots in Ephesus. God delivered him. Any other trial he went through in the prison, God delivered him. And he knows that the same God who delivered him in the past is able to deliver him day by day and will continue to deliver him until the final day. God allowed Paul to go through this trial to such an extreme that Paul could not trust in himself but in God who raises the dead. This made Paul realise that his welfare was in the hands of Almighty God. And it's often the case that in man's extremity, that's where God's opportunity uh, arises. Death seemed inevitable as far as human nature was concerned, but as far as God was concerned, this was not the end of Paul or his ministry for him. Now we'll turn to verse uh, 11. The Corinthians were aware of his trouble, for they joined Paul in his in supplications. You also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. It's not that God needs prayer to cause him to deliver. God is sovereign. Rather, he allows his people to intercede for fellow believers in their hour of distress and proves to them that he hears and answers their cries. And we could be amazed that Paul would value the prayers of the Corinthians in their former carnal state, but they had been restored and had a deep interest in his circumstances. Paul states that because many have prayed, that many can give thanks to God for his deliverance. We must continue uh, in to pray for the deliverance of others who are in deep distress. Continuing to pray for those that we know who are suffering, who are going through times of trial, praying that God would deliver them. And we know that if God doesn't deliver us uh, from this trial or suffering that we're currently facing, if he doesn't deliver us in this life, he will deliver us in the end, for we will be delivered as he takes us up to be with him in heaven. We will be free from the suffering. You know, that's why we must come together as a church, so that many can pray, and that in doing so, many can give thanks to God. We must continue to pray, many of us, for uh, each of our sufferings, so that so much more thanks can be given to God when we have been delivered. And just in uh, conclusion, I'd just like to bring a couple uh, of pieces of scripture to you that I trust would be an encouragement to you in times of trial and 
in suffering. Certainly passages I found encouraging uh, in trial and suffering. Psalm 118. Psalm 118. Verses 5 to 6. I called on the Lord in deep distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then another psalm. Psalm 34. And in verses 4 to 10, it says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Trust that God would bless the reading of his word to us this evening.